Where the hell have we been? Nobody cares. The fact is that we're back. Hello, welcome to the Sitcom Club. I'm Tilta Reiser. With me is Gary Roger. Hello. Okay, you can take it from there. I just needed to sort of stop any chit-chat about excuses for where we've been, why we've been aware. Trust us, they're good reasons. We're back. I think that's fair enough. Yes, indeed. So anyway, no, we, we did feel that we, we had to speak and record something into a microphone and commit it to an audio format, ideally MP3, and release it at some point. The original plan, yeah, was round about now you would be hearing the first of our podcasts about Are You Being Served? That's not been kicked into the long grass. It's just that we've decided we want to do too much research to really make that worth listening to. But we felt, let's do a sitcom club, and let's do it the old-fashioned way. Let's find a one-series sitcom from the 80s, even better. And we have this, I think this might well be the first ever podcast about The Climber. What do you reckon, Gary? I think so, yes. Some people, because we know that there are proper archive hunters out there who listen to us, welcome. And they're quite often scouring the various sites. They might have stumbled across a few months ago about two and a bit episodes of this show on YouTube. We were lucky enough to come into possession of the full six episodes. And this is a single series BBC show, which is, of course, quite a rarity. And it has the look and feel of a BBC Two sitcom, but it is actually BBC One. It's written by Alex Shearer, who is probably best known in sitcom circles for being the principal writer of The Two of Us, with Nicholas Lindhurst and Janet Dibley. But this is a single series show from 1983, and it stars Robin Nedwell from the Doctor series. And I saw the first episode when it went out. Because it would occasionally pop into my head, what was that show where the guy found out he was a genius in a bathroom stall? And you took notes about that first episode when you watched it in 1983, and you've held on to those notes, and you're using those very yeah, notes I, I today. I actually haven't bothered watching uh, this time around, <laughs> depending on my 40-year-old memories. So what did your, am I right thinking, eight-year-old self think of episode one of The Climber in 1983? Seriously, I probably thought that was that's an interesting idea. Guy yes. finds out he's a genius. There's a number of overlapping thingies here. This is an interesting one to take apart. Because there are a number of different I mean, you've got like good lifeisms and summer wineisms and then its own unique take on things, but then it doesn't move quite doesn't move quite at the pace I expected it to move. But we've got another one in the genre of sitcoms that say, Who am I and where am I going? like The Good Life, like Reginald Perrin. This time we're farther down the class spectrum. Okay, so let's set the scene. So Robin Nedwell works in a bakery and his job is to take out the trays and bash them together so to extract the bread from the trays. And that's what he's doing eight hours a day. Robin is called Harry, by the way in the show. His partner is Shirley, and he works alongside Ted and Reg. Ted and Reg are, Reg is David Williams, who is, of course... Well, probably the reason that David Williams is called David Williams. Indeed. <laughs> and Ted is David Batley. Everything is better with David Batley. Why have we not done a sitcom club 
about David Batley yet. We're not dead yet. We can do that in the future. Well, I say we're not dead yet. By the time you hear this, <laughs> not feeling so clever anyway. So, yes, so he's walking alongside Reg and Ted. There he is in the bakery, pretty much frustrated because it's not the most thrilling or demanding of roles that he has. And he's got ideas. He has sort of ambitions. And one day in the canteen, he's thumbing through some old paperbacks and he finds one of those test your IQ books. He goes into the bathroom stall and we never do get a definitive answer to this, but we've got to take his word for it that he has calculated correctly that he has an IQ of 166. You know what? I have a feeling that that should already be um, a clue. Tell you what, you keep them busy. Well, I saw something yesterday, just yesterday, when I was looking up the whole thing about IQ tests, which don't carry quite as much cashier as they used to. Well, they had all those shows, didn't they? In the early 2000s on BBC, usually with Anne Robinson, Test Your IQ and all that kind of thing. And it was when you had like the red button on Freeview and satellite and what have you, and you could play along, you could press all the stuff, and then it would tell you your IQ. No, I was just seeing, I saw a thing on the, the Mensa site that you could do a test there and it would give you a score between a certain level and 145. But you know what? I don't think there necessarily is a maximum IQ. I imagine there are possibly competing IQ tests out there. Mm -hmm. 90 to 109 is average. 110 to 119 is high average. 120 to 129 is superior. 130 and above is very superior. So the point is that, yes, this is his guiding light for the rest of the series. He's convinced of this and his friends are somewhat sceptical, but they go along with it for the ride. And straight away, he's sort of thinking, well, here's okay. here's the thing. It's, it almost feels, you could almost imagine this, the first episode as an individual episode of a different sitcom. As I said, there are summer wine qualities to the three musketeers, David Batley, Harry, and not David Walliams. We start with them, their tendency to meet in a phone box to keep warm while they're waiting for the bus. Even when a bus shelter's put up, they decide they prefer the phone box. So you can almost imagine that there was this different sitcom about these three guys. Robin Nedwell is coded at least as being the younger of the youngest of the three. I, he's probably not that much different from uh, David Batley, but he's the one who's like, oh, you know, let's do things. He's got like the cheek of compo. He's got the energy. Reg is more pompous. Mm. It's like he thinks he's possibly on a slightly uh, higher class than the others, but thinks that he hides it well. And Ted is a character played by David Batley. So <laughs> not necessarily cynical, but very able to cut through any kind of highfalutin pomposity or anything. Sort of slight mustn't grumble, but taking things in uh, very bad humor. I don't know, not bad humor. He's not excitable. Yes. He will just go along with things. There's sort of fatalism about him. So, you know, these are three very well-drawn, strong characters. So you can imagine that, like, right, this week's episode, Harry thinks he's a genius. And next week's episode, Harry might think he's something else, or he might persuade the three of them to do something 
really stupid. Might persuade them to start a skiffle band or anything. <laughs> I could quite easily see this going in a different direction. Or even if we make Harry still the central character, he just gets a different idea of what's missing in his life and goes somewhere else. We've got this nice, neat little sort of one-sentence concept. Ordinary man discovers he's a genius. But it would almost work equally as well without that. It's just that Harry wants more. Harry's sort of aware. He's not Reginald Perrin. He's, it's not like that. there's a whole permissiveness that's passed him by. In fact, he's not. I mean, Tom Good has reached a certain level in the kind of corporate world. And is now questioning whether this is where he should be. Harry is on the factory floor and questioning whether this is where he should be. He'd think Tom Good, pre-self-sufficiency experiment, he'd think Tom Good's life was pretty enviable. He'd quite like to be where, where Reginald Perrin is with his own office and all that. So, I mean, that gives you the concepts of the climate. You could take out the IQ, even just, just the whole concepts that Harry decides that there's more to life than this and he deserves more. Hmm. So the IQ thing is just the MacGuffin. It's the MacGuffin that gives him this idea that he actually can do it. And so really it's all an issue of self-belief. Yeah, because what's nice about his character is that he's not one-dimensional. It's not like he is neither somebody who is a buffoon who thinks he's a genius and just lucks his way into things. Sometimes he gets lucky, sometimes not. Sometimes he tries something and it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. But because he's got that sort of guiding principle of his super intelligence that he's absolutely convinced of, then it gives him the, the confidence to just continue and continue and continue on. And there is one point at which you mentioned Mensa before, Till. There is one point. Well, can we, can we quickly declare a spoiler space for this? Oh, yes, yes. There is a chance this might turn up somewhere legit and not under the counter, like you got it, you grubby little man, Gary, the private walker of sitcom podcasting. So come back in about 30 seconds. It's heavily implied, according to Gary, to me it's confirmed <laughs> that he's got it wrong and that he's actually kind of sick. This is in episode three, so... Are we at the 30 seconds, 30 seconds since I started saying that? Probably got all 10 seconds to go. Okay. If ever I should leave you. Who was it, it shot JR? wouldn't be in. Um, it was Fred for Nakapan. There you go. So, welcome back. Right. So, <laughs> so yes, it becomes an issue of self-belief. He... Passes his driving test purely by reading, I think, was it reading the Highway Code or reading a book? Yes, he, he read the Highway Code and he took a couple of lessons in his friend's milk float. And he passes his driving test. There's a really nice bit, and also very of its time bit, where he's just chatting with Cheryl. You said she, she was his partner, she's his fiance. People didn't have partners in 1983. They hadn't been invented yet. Sex had only been invented 20 years earlier. <laughs> But he's just, so he's chatting with Sherl and he's fiddling with the Rubik's Cube and then he passes it to her and she realizes he's done it. Oh, uh, Sherl's father is played by Jack Watson. Hey. 
And if you know what Jack Watson looks like, Jack Watson doesn't have any lines. Jack Watson doesn't need any lines. <laughs> Jack Watson's just got that face that he's seen some stuff. Oh, <laughs> I was really expecting him to have one word, like Marceau, Marceau in, in Silent Movie or something, just right at the end. I thought maybe he'll get one single piece of dialogue, but no. Are you doing an imperson- Are you doing impersonation of Jack Watson in the claim or no? I've got a rather banal concept here about essentially trapped versus fish out of water. You know, people, all the best sitcoms are about characters are essentially trapped. Hmm. Well, no, some sitcoms are good because they're the fish out of water. This is about somebody who realizes he's essentially trapped and becomes a fish out of water. There's so many different comedic principles going on at once. So this becomes then a, a, a comic serial rather than a comedy series. So, right, hang on a minute. Where does he get to in, in episode two? So, I mean, he starts out as a bread basher. Yes. Where does he go to in episode two? So episode two, he has already worked his way up that he's in to go out on the road for bread sales. I thought that was episode three. Well, I think it's episode three when he actually gets on the road. Before that, he's got to pass his driving test first. Oh, of course. Right. Yes. Because episode three then brings me flashbacks to an earlier one series sitcom that we did, Bootle Saddles. Hey. So I came... Just weird little, it's it's full of tropes. So there's the whole thing about him learning to be a delivery driver. Isn't it the most, one of the most stressful jobs ever in dinner ladies delivering bread? Well, Don's coping mechanism is that he sort of, he dresses like Slim Whitman. He's got a neckerchief. And- Do you think that Don once fell off a diving board in Guernsey? No, I think Don will eventually turn up in Apache Wells. <laughs> from Bootle Saddles. Do you, do you remember ages ago, we were talking about like how a British Happy Days, a character like the Fonz would maybe come across a bit hmm. inadequate. Yes. Because if you're British and you want to be all rock and roll, you have to kind of pretend to be American and that can look a bit... Well, I mean, would, would he not come across as Kirk in Dear John? Yes. Because Don does talk in this kind of American accent. Because he's got a country group called the Yokohama Doughboys. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, yeah, doing the patter, that's fine. But he, he he does that in everyday life. Isn't there a character like that in I'm Alan Partridge? Oh, yeah, Peter Serafinovich, yes. As Tex, isn't he? Yes, yeah. Yeah. But this then becomes wonderfully surreal because he talks very slowly. Just the scene of him explaining... The bread delivery code. Now, the, the, the good thing about this is that, like I said, there are three episodes on YouTube. If you look up on YouTube, The Claimer, episode one, it's mislabeled as episode one. It's actually episode three. But you'll see the episode we're talking about. And the, the sequences with Doughboy are just superb. I'm so glad that we, we actually, before we watched this properly, we watched those YouTube episodes about a year ago. And so we were under the impression that that was actually episode one. And I was just in hysterics at those bits. I think we can still quote one because it just plays out so beautifully is that Harry holds up an unwrapped loaf and says, is that wrapped? And Don goes, no, you see, the wrapped ones are wrapped in paper. (laughs) Yeah, it's... 
the, se- the the sequence where he's in the back of the van trying to explain to Harry about his supposed perks of the the job is just wonderful. This turned into an argument because what he's talking about aren't perks. He's talking no. about fiddles. Yes. Yeah. Perks are legit. Fiddles are not. <laughs> but it's it, it's it's a thin line between the two, isn't it? No, perks are legit. <laughs> Yeah, he, he he works a number of fiddles. Actually, going back to his country group, you see, he does one of those things where British people, because most British dialects are non-rhotic. Eh. Oh, for God's sake. Remember who you're talking to here. <laughs> Me. So when certain appearances of the letter R in a word tend not to be emphasized in most English well, I was going to say most British dialects. I'm not sure about the Scottish dialects. And so, for example, the, the one that always gets me is Turkey, because Americans always say Turkey. They really lean into the R that's in the middle of the word. There's an extra kind of R sound going on in American English that doesn't appear in most dialects of British English, except sort of into the Southwest. Anyway, British people attempting American accents often put in roticisms. No, roticism means mispronounced. Well, they overdo it. And Don does it. The Yokohama, I mean, Yokohama is like, you know, it's a Japanese name, Japanese words. Because Yokohama. <laughs> <laughs> Just that, yeah. <laughs> you know the, um, the services, um, that Peter K thing? You remember the guy who just often launches into the canteen and shows John Wayne? Do you think that's what eventually became of Doughboy? <laughs> so he does go around the houses somewhat in these six episodes. Well, this is the thing. It doesn't travel at the pace I thought it would travel at. I thought he, I thought by the sixth episode... He wouldn't necessarily be like the CEO of the bread company. Well, you know, the Peter Principle, not the sitcom, the principle. Mm-hmm. It just that title, The Climber, I thought by the sixth episode, he was going to be far more high-flown than he was. So it's, it, it was, it's a strange thing. It's like it, it starts out with a... You've got these clashing qualities or overlapping qualities. The IQ MacGuffin... The simple sense of where am I going and this whole idea that he's now going up in the organization. So, like I say, sometimes he does manage things like passing his driving tests for no apparent reason. He can't fake that. Sometimes he gets lucky. When he's out on the road at first, he, oh, we're going to have another spoiler. It's not a full 30 second one. It's only maybe a five second one. Okay, earbuds out or just... Make a loud noise for 10 seconds. Spike Milligan is in episode three. Not playing his usual type of role. Yes, that's, yes, that is interesting. And so it is felt that he is somewhat over-enthusiastic with the customers. <laughs> and so he finds himself in a desk job in which there is nothing to do. And at one point, does he not actually find himself sort of mouthing off in front of the the boss of the company without realizing it? That's a fairly standard trope. Yeah. And if, if I, even a fairly standard trope that the boss is quite amused mm. 
again, one nice piece of character depth. I could be wrong. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I don't think it is ever mentioned. There's a woman in the, in the office and she's just got Snoopy stuff all over the pib board at the back of her. It's just not mentioned. Just characterization mm, through yes. set design. Well, in that, in that instance, he gets lucky because the, the manager of the section that he's in basically is going to give him the bullet, but he locks out and finds himself climbing up again. So I like the fact that there was no, because it, it would have been really easy for it to be just single path. You know, you know what's going to happen. You've seen one, you've seen them all. You know that at the end of every week, he's just going to get lucky and then he's going to get overpromoted and so on. It doesn't work like that. That's, that's, that's one of the things that, that kept me interested in this is that he does have setbacks and then sometimes he pulls off a surprise. The interplay between Harry, Ted and Reg is really nice. There's one in particular. I mean, Ted, David Batley, is, he's quite content with his plants. If he's got his greenhouse, he's happy. Reg is a bit put out by Harry's sudden enthusiasm for bettering himself. And there's a really nice scene when Harry is going for an interview for a position and he finds that Reg is sitting next to him in the waiting room, is going to go for the same one. So he's trying to sort of play mind games with him and say, you've got to get an edge, you know, you, you've got to you've got to go in there with a purpose. You know, they're going to try and play mind games with you and what have you, which somewhat backfires on Well, Reg. I'm not sure that Harry is necessarily playing mind games because once he comes out, because Harry's ready for the mind games and the interview doesn't quite go the way he expects. This whole IQ thing doesn't really butter any parsnips in the interview and he comes out and he does try and tell Reg there isn't a trick there is <laughs> there's t- well we're talking about Reg I just want to mention one particular line that's very sort of Roy Clarkish in the first episode so Harry still hasn't got his idea of completely bettering himself Reg tells Harry he's one of life's unposted pools coupons that that's pure summer wine <laughs> um there's quite a few faces in this across the six episodes. Stuart Fell, you'll recognise from all manner of things. He's milk float driver. Arnold Peters, you'll recognise from everything. If you're familiar with the Porridge episode of Day Out, he's Mr. Mackay's superior in that. Very tall, imposing chap. Till before, I'm going to pull back the curtain, which we have done on many an occasion here. Before we started this recording, you said to me, we may well go off on tangents in this conversation. Because there's only so much we can say. It's only six episodes. So shall we go off on a brief tangent, which could be could be a bit of a roller coaster, could be unsettling. And yet I think that it is our duty to inform our audience of what we've been up to over the past few weeks and months. I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, I mean, that's that's my problem. That's not your problem. That's not you making not making things clear. Okay, listeners, you will hear the exact moment. You will hear a sharp intake of breath, not the sitcom, from Tilt when he twigs where I'm going with this, okay? In the episode, aforementioned episode, where... Harry finds himself in the office job. One of his fellow employees in the office is played by Alexandra Dane. Alexandra Dane, you'll recognize from things like Not In Your Nelly. And 
she's also in a sitcom which we've been watching some of recently. How far did we get into it? Maybe the first couple of episodes, I think. Pilot followed by six episodes. Oh no! Only one of oh, these God, seven no. episodes has ever been broadcast. Oh. There you go, listeners. He's, he's worked it out. He's, 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 he's twigged. <laughs> Alexandra Dane plays the landlady in The Melting Pot. <laughs> now, we cannot say how we have come into possession of all seven episodes of The Melting Pot, only one of which was ever broadcast. The BBC really did make a series of six episodes of a show and then took a look at it and said, what the hell are we thinking we can't broadcast this? Yes. (laughs) It's not just the fact that Spike Milligan plays a Pakistani. You can buy a sitcom where Spike Milligan plays a Pakistani on DVD, Curry and Chips. Mm. It's an attempt what TV tropes, TV tropes has come in for a lot of criticism, but I find it actually quite useful in some ways. What TV tropes calls refuge in audacity. A bit like I was talking with somebody once about um, the producers and the, the musical it was turned into, and, and somebody said, you know, that there was some of the gay stuff they felt in the 68 film was a bit off and i said i said in the new one they've basically tried to make it better by making it worse Mm -hmm. by being just so completely over the top so the melting pot is an attempt to do that by basically being as offensive as possible about race and i guess some forlorn hope that maybe the fever will break but it's just a mess yeah it is it was Uncomfortable viewing doesn't even cover it. I mean, okay, the, the thing the thing you can say about curry and chips is that, it, aside from anything else, it's just not a very funny sitcom. The melting pot, you're not even necessarily counting the, the, the gag rate. The thing that astonished me about it, because of course it's Spike Milligan and John Bird. John Bird. And when we're looking up bits and pieces about it, we discovered that initially it was actually intended to be Spike and Peter Sellers. I don't know if Sellers would have done it beyond the pilot. I think that there was reasons, recording date clashes, that kind of thing that prevented him from doing the pilot in the first instance. And I think actually it was with only days to go that John Bird was conscripted to to take the role. But yeah, it would have been a fascinating wee curiosity if it actually had been. <laughs> the concept didn't exist at the time, but they're trying to be edge lords, mm-hmm. And uh, there are a few things... <laughs> quite so embarrassing as somebody trying to be an edgelord. I mean, there are some you can just dismiss out of hand. Oh, yeah, you're trying to be. But some it's just like, oh, oh God, no, it's so embarrassing. I'm just, oh, sweaty palms. <laughs> so anyway, there are no plans for... So Jennifer slept here. Sorry. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, go on. You need, you need to tell people what Jennifer <laughs> no, slept no, here actually we, we is. Could, no, we could maybe do that as, as a separate show. Well, no, yeah, fine, but, but hint at it. I mean, give, give people a sort of, you know, a teaser. Hey, kids, do you remember Nearly Departed? <laughs> the ghost? Nobody can except the old man. What if instead of two ghosts, one of which is Eric Idle, can I, sorry, it was can I just one ghost? Interject? Sorry, just to point out that this is the only podcast, I know there are many, many podcasts out there, this is the only podcast in existence where you can ask the question, do you remember Nearly Departed? And we know that at least 50% of our listeners say, yes, I remember that. 
What if instead of two ghosts, it was one ghost and she was a sexy woman? What if instead of the only person who could see her was the old man, it was a 14-year-old boy? What if the question that's just jumped into your head isn't really ever answered, but is also sometimes alluded to in a way that's a bit, oh, that's Jennifer slept here. <laughs> I've, I've been discussing it with a friend of mine who uh, watched it at the time, I think, or saw repeat not many years after its original run, and remember quite liking it. And I sort of said, yeah, what about the, hmm? the oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> So there you go. We don't just look at sitcoms. We don't just examine sitcoms. We don't just open up the bonnet of the sitcom, take a look at the engine, work out how it's working. We sometimes spoil them for other people so they can never enjoy them again. (laughs) So, yes, vote now. There isn't a poll, but vote anyway on whether you want us to discuss Jennifer Slept Here on a future sitcom club. No, oh, by the way, I was going to mention this at the end anyway, but we might as well do it now. We've just been talking about Milligan, Sellers. We may well mention Harry Seacom at some point. Where's a really, really good podcast that if you're not already listening to it, you really, really should be? Goon Pod. Yes. Presented by Tyler Adams. We made him, but we can't break him. <laughs> he's just gone way past us now. <laughs> yeah, he's he's doing great. It's, it's he's one in the of the VIP lounge. We're in the snug. Well, you know, but we, we like it down there. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's lack of ambition on our part, yeah. No, that's a quote. You know where that's from, don't you? Yes, uh, small problem. There you go. Hey, I tell you what turned up on YouTube. The Well, maybe it didn't turn up on YouTube. I was made aware of it the other day. Uh, the opening moments of Not With A Bang. Oh, yeah. 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 Another Mike Waller. Till. Cover your ears for five seconds, will you? Yeah. Till doesn't know this. I've got all of Not With A Bang. Okay, you can you can come back now. So again, you know, with, with throwing them out, I think Jennifer slept here, Not With A Bang. They can all go on the list. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. No, What's that one? We are not doing the melting pot, kids. No, we're not. No, we're not doing that. What's that one that was on BBC and then got pulled? Is it You've Got It Made? Oh, was that pulled? I yes. remember it being on BBC. I don't remember it being pulled. Is that with, is it Justin Bateman? Or yes. Is that yes, it is. Patrick yep. Bateman's American Psycho. Justin Bateman is Arrested Development. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, the point is this. Goonpod is fabulous. Tyler has an encyclopedic knowledge of all things Goon Show, and he has had some absolute top flight guests on his show so yes if you're not already subscribed and to also it, me well yes but yeah if you're not already listening to it then jump on it you've also been on all podcast haven't you till are we talking about oh, that was like um quite some time ago that i was on just one more yeah, thing yeah. yeah plug it anyway it's all right doing a 90 well i'm on two two different editions of just one more thing as tv land used to say if you ain't seen it it's new to you i think the twitter is j-o-m-t podcast Search for just one more thing, Columbo Podcast. You can all do that. They didn't do them in order. It's finished now. So there's all of Columbo is covered in there. I have been on it twice. The most recent one was I did the, the 90s episode about the murderous dentist. But the more interesting was my first appearance when I did the pilot film. Not even quite a pilot. I'm not sure there was really a series in the offing in 68. 
but the initial TV movie, Prescription Murder, from 1968, but I also got into the prehistory of Columbo, because at that time, I was in a more select group than I am now, mm. in that I'd seen the uh, Chevy Mystery Hour from 1960, starring Bert Fried as Columbo. It did turn up briefly on YouTube earlier this year, in color, which I'd not seen before. Has it gone? It's gone, yeah. Ah. Oh. And also, I talked about the stage play and the original short story, and I blow the endings of all versions because the endings get less impressive as they go on. The original short story has the most dynamite gut punch of an ending, but there's, there's really nothing to, to do for Lieutenant Fisher, barely in it. So the climber, right. Okay, because another thing, you know, I mean, should I do my usual like sociopolitical boring thing? Well, I thought you had been doing that last 40 minutes. Well, I'm thinking, is this partially... What sociopolitical bugaboos <laughs> have I... Right, you, you, walked, you walked straight into that. Go on. I'm just thinking, is this based on a slightly different assumption overhanging from the 70s and things like that? This idea that he's climbing because of his superior intelligence rather than his simple superior cheek. Only it's having it both ways. He thinks he's climbing because of his superior intelligence, but it's set effectively. Because, I mean, he just says people, I've got an IQ of 166. Now, nobody really asks him to prove it there and then. It, in fact, it doesn't really make any difference in the interview to become a delivery man or a salesman. So he gets there on his superior cheek. Just, I'm just thinking about like the difference between Harry and Del Boy. Del Boy is a certain type that became kind of dominant in the 80s. He's ambition almost as an end in itself, whereas Harry needs permission for ambition. Once he thinks he's super intelligent, mm. then he feels he can do this. If, if he hadn't taken that test, what would he be doing? He wouldn't, would he still be a bread basher? See, the thing is, okay, I don't think that aside from joking occasionally with the chaps, most of the time when Harry mentions his IQ and his supposed genius, he either mentions it in passing as if it's just, you know, a notable thing that, that, that it's worth saying. So it's almost as if he was sort of saying, oh, um, yeah, it turns out that I've got, you know, a bionic elbow or something like that. Or sometimes he even says it in a sort of apologetic manner and pulls it out as a, a sort of trump card if he feels he has to use it. And usually people sort of just sort of humor him and tolerate it. And occasionally somebody will come back and say, yeah, but that's not going to make you a great salesman, you know, or something of that ilk. But he, he doesn't, he never becomes overbearing. He doesn't become annoying the, the way that he could do. Also, it's interesting when he finally does have a meeting with his fellow Mensa members, they're all rather awkward people. And so in a way, it takes his common touch to break the ice, or rather it takes them thinking that he's going to buy them all a drink to break <laughs> the ice. But it seems to me inevitable that in an awkward Mensa meeting, it, has to, it was going to be a character like Harry who would break the ice. In fact, you know what? It reminds me of an episode of Columbo, the bye-bye sky-high IQ case, I think it was called. Yes, yeah. Should have been called Tickled to Death, but there we go. 
there's that mental like organization, uh, but there's that feeling that there isn't really that much holding these people together mm-hmm. other than their sense of superiority. I mean, I suppose it's, it's almost like, uh, money can't buy you happiness. It's almost like, oh, well, being intelligent isn't all that, all that it's cracked up to be, is it? But I thought that was worth mentioning. I think that we, we do warm to Harry. Harry is a sympathetic character and he's somebody that the audience likes. Well, I think Harry, Harry's sympathetic though from the off. There's, I don't think there's anything he particularly does that's mean or selfish. Apart from that business about, um, you know, putting all the bread into bin liners. But that's healthy competition. But he's, and he's told to do that. <laughs> he's told that's the way it works. But, you know, it's, he still feels comfortable hanging out at Ted's shed. He doesn't think that he's better than Ted and Reg. He doesn't really think that he's necessarily better than anybody. He just thinks it's like, right now, now I know what I'm doing. This has given him a a certain focus in life. No, it would be easy for this to be all about Harry gets alienated from everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, where would you like to have seen this go if there had been a second series? <laughs> Sorry, I'm now suddenly thinking. Have you ever seen the film Charlie based on the story Flowers for Algernon? No. Okay, well, I won't spoil the ending of that film. It also has a moment you absolutely hate where he goes all weird for a bit. <sighs> See, I don't mind weird things per se. I think it's usually just the weird stuff that you serve up that, <laughs> that I'm not overly keen on. But, you know, I mean, like you said the other day, we both like Tim and Eric. And you would never, yes. ever have thought that about my tastes, would you? But usually it's because you're giving me like some music from the 60s and it's like, oh my God, what is this? You've just talked yourself into this corner, I think. I think if you found out you had an IQ of 166, you'd, you'd give yourself permission to like stuff more. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a nice sitcom club revival. Thank you for joining us today. We're not done yet, so this stay is, where you are. Okay. The holiday season is upon us. There are things to look out for on your our price shelves and in your radio time. Amongst them, only Fools and Horses. On Blu-ray, there is a selection of yes. Christmas editions. There was a phony rumour flying around that the VT material had been filmized. It wasn't groundless. There was a very confusing statement coming out from the producers of the disc. Yeah, I think that they were trying to say they've upscaled and it it came across as if they actually stripped the frame rate, but they haven't, thankfully. Which they did for Day of the Triffids. Yeah, but um, I should point out, we haven't actually seen the discs. So our understanding is that they have not done that. If you do buy it and find out that they have, then don't send the bill to us. But as we understand it, no, it's fine. So, yes, included on this are a number of the Christmas episodes, which have been restored and and all looking lovely in HD. And I believe it's also got both versions of Royal Flush on it, which we reviewed some time ago on the sitcom club, if I remember correctly. And we had to go to some lengths to get hold of it back then. Now, anybody can get it, which is bang out of order. I feel like you and your secret Columbo Society. 
I, I don't begrudge the world. Yes, oh, you no, do. It's, it's... No, no, be, no, be honest, you do. <laughs> no, I'm more bothered about the fact that Riff Tracks is doing Dangerous Men. And that was my secret. That was like, you know, people talk about the room and it's like, yeah, well, uh, I've seen Dangerous Men. And, uh, you know, I, I see you, the room, and I raise you, Dangerous Men. Now everybody's going to have heard of it. Also, two other things to mention. One is the complete, or as complete as it can be, Markham and Wise ITV DVD set has come out from Network with all that survives of the ATV years and all, yes, all of the Thames years. Finally, we have the complete run. Last night, I watched the first two editions of Series 2. Yes. Not necessarily top flight, but, but very enjoyable. And certainly not a sense of, oh, they're past their best now. Yeah. No, it was, it was it moved along a decent old clip. It was routine, more cone-wise. It wasn't a special. It was just two half-hour shows. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really nice, finally, for material to be offered up to everybody to evaluate for themselves rather than constant received wisdom, you know, when it's just a handful of people and that opinion then gets reprinted year after year. Oh, by the way, uh, the may have seen a documentary on... Um, certain television channel called Morecambe and Wise Lost Tapes over the past couple of months. And the Lost Tape in Question, which is a Morecambe and Wise show from October 1970, which was discovered by Gary Morecambe, will be getting an airing on another television channel on Christmas Day this year. So there you go. And finally, in case, and I cannot believe that anybody who listens to this podcast would not already know this, you really should. But just in case you don't, the best holiday season present that anybody could ever have. Talking Pictures TV has launched an on-demand video service called TPTV Encore. And yeah, it's just basically everything that's on Talking Pictures available whenever you want it. And the majority of it, I think it's the majority of it, is even available worldwide, as you can attest to. I had a low class night. It's not the majority. Well, it's good enough. You can, get, you can watch freewheelers on it. There are quite, well, yeah, yeah. Freewheelers, I think, is watchable. Not all the southern shows are, but a lot of the southern shows are watchable. Of course, the Sir Seymour Hicks and Alistair Sim Scrooges are public domain, so they're going to be available over the service. But it's principally the southern television material, even though not all of that. But yeah, I had a look at it last night. Fan-dabby-dozy. So, yes, indeed, it's been nice being back in front of a mic again. A bit shorter than normal, though, hasn't it? Yeah, it's a bit more shorter than normal, but that's because in this day and age, you know, people have so many demands on their time. Also, there's only six episodes. There's only so much we can say about this. Whereas when we get stuck into I being served, which we will do in 2022, there are 10... 20- Oh, yeah, okay. It is 2021, isn't it? There are 10, 10 series of Are You Being Served? There's a lot to talk about. And a movie. And a movie. And a pilot, of course, which was then rediscovered and had the colour restored. There is Beans of Boston. There is the Australian series. There's all manner of things. There's the whole PBS phenomena. There is a PBS special with material shot by John Inman as himself and his mother just for the PBS audience. There are so many things that we're going to talk about. And like Till said at the beginning of the show... We're not doing every episode because that's that's been done in your country, Gary. 
It has been it done, round, yes. Round the archives, I think, did yep. that. It's been done in my country by That Does Suit Madam. Yep. Podcast about are you being served? Yeah, we we don't want to we don't want to like just go through the, like the synopsis of of each episode, but we're doing this sitcom style. Yeah, what we want to find out is all the stuff that that for whatever reason doesn't get talked about in documentaries. We're just going to do the things. usual thing by saying, well, yes, obviously the post-war consensus effect on the silent generation. That's all. I don't. That, that's it. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Are You Being Served is all about the post-war consensus's effect on the silent generation, <laughs> so vis-a-vis the Suez crisis and jam. Okay, starting point for discussion, Are You Being Served goes beyond the post-war consensus. So that that in itself is an interesting <laughs> piece because there aren't that many sitcoms which actually bridge the gap. You know, sitcoms... Generally speaking, I mean, Only Fools starts in 81, so that's already post-post-war consensus and so on. No, actually, I mean, because are, are you being served? There's, there's a pre-war sensibility in that, Gen- seriously. Hmm. Yeah. But anyway, so yes, 2022, it's not that far away, we will be delving into served cast. It's not going to be called Pussy Rye, unfortunately. I, I did... <laughs> I did um, I did put the, uh, the the mockers on that. You were quite I was, right I was, that maybe I, it would, yeah, cause problems. I, I was, I, yeah, I was concerned that, that, yeah. I noticed so many words these days being automatically censored on, on various platforms and so on that, yeah, I thought we could fall foul of that. But anyway, yes, indeed. Now, in the meantime, of course, there are so many different shows in the archives of the sitcom club and, of course, Jaffa Cakes for Proust. And you can okay, find every- Gary, 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 Gary. Pick one. Pick one really good one, and I'll pick one really good one. Uh, okay, what have we done about Christmas television? Did we not go back and look at one entire day's Christmas TV? We watched BBC One in 1984. Yes. Again, as near as we could in uh, 2018. But yes, we did. As much as we could, we watched BBC One Christmas Day in 1984. It was so epic, we had to do it in two parts. Yes, One indeed. I'd like to mention on Jaffa Cakes for Proust is the birth of British television. I'm very proud of that one, even though a lot of it is just me parroting a book. I quite like that. I think you could listen to that. And if you don't necessarily learn stuff, you might find enlightenment by just having all the facts pulled together and put in a row. So every single one of the podcasts that we've ever done is, of course, available at sitcomclub.com and also of course you can find them all at podnose.com podnose.com has got tons of podcasts including our American cousin Sitcom Club USA which has just had a new edition with George Grimwood host and guest Tim Worthington within the last few weeks so that's available and yes we will of course be back in the new year in the meantime tweet us tweet us at the sitcom club tweet us at Jaffa Kicks for Proust tweet us wherever you find us you probably follow us personally anyway so tweet us tell us things that you would like to hear us discuss about served if you've got a query about are you being served if you've got a particular question about you know one of the stars or one of the series or whatever yeah tweet us let us know and have a lovely holiday everybody hope you all have a restive and pleasant time and Till, of course, Christmas is weird where you are because Christmas is like a full stop. You're like halfway through the holiday season just now, aren't you? Well, yes, yes. I mean, I have been to the cinema on Christmas Day, which felt weird. I was like, you know, you've beaten me to it. I was going to say, you go to the cinema on Christmas Day as if it was some sort of euphemism. 
I've only done it once. Well, all I'm saying is, if you go and see No Time to Die, have a piss first. It's two hours and 45 minutes, for goodness sake. But anyway, yes, so thank you very much for joining us and we will be back very soon, indeed, on the Sitcom Club. Police Nebby Dad. <laughs>